0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing great, Neil. How are you today? Fantastic. And I'm telling you, what we're going to find out about James Harris today. is amazing, his new book, and we're going to talk about that, but first his football career, former Raider James Harris. James, thanks for stopping by. How are you?
1: Man, thank you guys for having me, man. It's good to hear your voice.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk James specifically. Did you always want to be a football player growing up?
1: my whole entire life my whole entire life i loved it from the age of seven the first time i seen a game i fell in love with it
2: see what was it about that you know seven that's pretty amazing
1: oh the collision i love the collision (laughs) i love the way that you can run into a person and get up and then you okay and it felt good to run into people nice I, i i just fell in love with the collision
0: so let's talk about, James, like, did you always think you could be an NFL player? Was that something you, like you that you thought you had the talent? Or was it a challenge to get to the NFL?
1: I always thought I had the talent. I I tell a story about me and my mom. I, I told my mom in 1977, the Dallas Cowboys was playing the Denver Broncos and New Orleans in the Super Bowl. And I watched Bush Johnson make a one-hand catch. And I told my mom that day that I was going to play in the NFL. And the only thing a, a good mother said was, okay, son, if you say so. But uh, I proved to her that I was going to make it. But that was my determination to get to the NFL and uh, make that my my job, my career, uh, and my passion.
2: Uh, that's fantastic. You know, when you were seven, you know, what position did you just start off in? And then throughout your career, I don't know if you played college ball or what, what your path was to the NFL. You know, what positions did you play uh, later on?
1: Well, in the beginning of my, my whole career, I was a, a quarterback. I never uh, played any other position beside quarterback. I didn't change positions until my junior year in college. I had never even made a tackle in my life because I only played quarterback from the age of seven or eight up until the age of um, maybe 20. I had never made a tackle in my life until that day um, in practice. And I told my coaches that I like to play defense.
0: Okay, so that has that's a huge transition. How many qu- people do you think it became a, from quarterback to defense, not about defensive back, but never a, a, a position like you played, you know?
1: Well, that's a that's that's a different transition. You know what I mean? Going from quarterback to defensive lineman. Uh, I just looked at it as um, I wanted to play in the NFL, and and at that time, they really wasn't taking a lot of. Uh, Black quarterbacks. Uh, I was at Temple University. We was running an option, and I wasn't an option quarterback, so I was kind of in limbo, and I was lost. And then one day we was doing scout team uh, uh, one-on-one pass rushing, and I was a scout team quarterback, and I looked over at my coach, Tom Spann, and I told him, I said, man, I can rush the passer like that. He said, no. I said, man, he said, you never made a tackle. I said, but I look at rushing the passer like playing one-on-one basketball because I was a good basketball player. And so I looked at rushing the passer like playing one-on-one basketball. And I looked at the quarterback as the goal. So I figured if I can beat a guy slimmer than me to the basket, I definitely can beat a heavier guy to the quarterback. And I just use my basketball moves to get past him. So in and out, you do that as a basketball player. That's a pass rush move, in, out, back in. A spin move, that's a basketball move. But the the main objective is to get to the basket, no matter how you get to the basket. So – I said, that's the same way I took the approach of uh, getting to the quarterback.
2: No, that's fantastic. Uh, Do you have any memorable sacks that you want to share?
1: Brent Farr. Every time I've seen Brent Farr, I got it. I don't (laughs) care if I was with the Raiders or I was with the Vikings. And Brent Farr was one of my favorite players to play against because I enjoy watching him play. And to be right there with him was always a enjoyment to play because – Brett talked back to you. He was one of them tough guys. You know what I mean? He yeah. was a guy that you couldn't bully, and uh, he was a guy that you wanted to, to get to because as you getting him, he's trying to get you.
0: So let's talk about, James, how much size did you have to put on once you transitioned from quarterback to defensive end?
1: Actually, I started gaining a little weight um, at the end of my junior year. I probably went from um, 235 to about 275. 280, and um, I did it over over a period of time, uh, from my junior year until the time to go uh, to the NFL. And then uh, the, the very first two years of the NFL, I, I was actually started to put on weight, but it's weird. Uh, nobody even, never even knew when I first got to the NFL, that was probably my second year ever tackling anyone. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so I got to ask, because I'm from Boston, did you ever uh, play against Tom Brady?
1: Uh, no, I never got the chance to play against Tom. Um, I've, I've been to Boston and played against uh, New England. When I was in Minnesota, I was part of that, that, that Drew Blessoe game when he threw those, threw those uh, 77 passes, and we didn't sack him. That was horrible. <laughs> nice. But, but no, I so- never got the opportunity to get uh, Tom Brady.
0: So do you consider yourself a Raider or a Viking?
1: I'm a Raider. I love Minnesota for the opportunity that they gave me, but the Raiders have treated me so well. I mean, it's it's a different um, situation. It's a different organization. And the way that um, the Davids have treated me from the very first day that I came through the door, I just couldn't turn away and be nothing else beside a, a Raider. But I trust me. I love the Vikings because the Vikings gave me my opportunity to be an adult uh, with a job and also play uh, a, a sport for a living that I love.
2: Wow, cool. Did, did you have a mentor or uh, you know someone that helped you along when you got to the NFL that you remember that uh, you know took you under their wing or help, helped you learn the ropes?
1: Yes, Chris Dolan. I love Chris Dolan. I embodied Chris Dolman. I stole Chris Dolman's style. I started wearing his sleeves. I, I went found the shoulder pads that he wore. I, I wanted to walk like Chris Dolman. I wanted to pass rush like Chris Doman. I just wasn't as good as Chris Dolman. I was a better run 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 uh player than Chris, but Chris was a much, much better pass rusher than I was. But Chris was a guy that uh showed me that the NFL is a business. It's not a sport, it's a business. And as fast as you realize that it's a business, longer you'll last in this game.
0: So let's talk about your book now. That's crazy, your transition from football. And talk about the title of the book. Yeah.
1: Okay. The title of the book is called From the Playing Fields to the Fed. I know people get hung up when I say the Fed. Okay. The Playing Fields to the Fed is is a lot of things that you go through as a professional athlete or as a young man growing up can lead you down some paths that you may not want to go through. I mean, go down. And I've done some things in my life that I'm not very, very proud of, and it it led me uh, down that path to the to the feds. And um, I was just making a lot of dumb mistakes in my life uh, with money and and hanging with the wrong people. And I hopefully, uh, people that get the opportunity to read my book don't get caught up in the glamorous life of you know of the, the women and the, the the drugs and the partying and the houses in the car. Look at it as, okay, this is not the route that this man wanted to go down, but he went down, but he came out on the other end, the right, the right side. And I want a lot of people to see that you can make mistakes in your life and still come out on the right side.
2: Well, that's fantastic. So, what are your thoughts around uh, promoting and maybe you do it today? Do you do um speaking? do you do you help uh, young athletes uh, college or high school or
1: Well, I talk to a lot of college young guys I bump into uh, in the area that I live in out here. And uh, a lot of them I can relate to because a lot of them are in trouble. and 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 one thing about uh, young athletes they get in trouble, they want to talk to someone that's been through what they've been through. And you can't go and tell them about some things that uh, you, you've you never done. I've been through it all, man. And and the, by the graces of God, he's brought me to this side where I'm even sitting here talking with you guys. And I'm still accepted in the NFL. And, uh, man, it's, it's wonderful to be able to make mistakes and, and people still accept you and see that you have grown from the, all the mistakes that you made. And I made a lot of them, but by the grace of God, I, I came out on the right end.
0: Let's talk about you hitting rock bottom. What was the rock bottom for you?
1: Uh, the rock bottom was uh, going to the federal penitentiary, you know, sitting in that cell. That was uh, uh, the rock bottom. A lot of people didn't know that I was even in jail, you know, and um, I sat there and I evaluated some things in my life uh, and, and I just I put my life in order, Um uh, us. I didn't do anything criminal. Well, I did some criminal when I was in jail, but nothing to hurt no one. The thing that I did was uh, was that disappointed some people. And uh, that's even worse than hurting them It's disappointing. So um, that was my rock bottom sitting in that cell wondering, how did I get here? And that's why my book is called From the Playing Fields to the Fifth. And if you see my cover, I wish I had my book, but uh, I'm, at, I was, I'm sitting in the gym doing this but my book cover tells the story. It's, um, it's me looking in a mirror and the reflection, me in the, looking in the mirror uh, in a football uniform, and the reflection of the mirror is me standing in a federal penitentiary uniform. And that's how I went from the playing fields to the feds. And, and I'm just looking in the mirror saying, how did I get here? What did I do to get here? And sitting in that cell uh, thinking, and I found out this is how I got there. All these mistakes that I made, but all these mistakes led me to become the man that I am today.
2: Amen. You know, I think everybody makes mistakes, whether they admit it or not, and have the uh, courage to face it, to do that introspective work, and become better from it. You no, know, so congratulations for that, James. Let me ask you: How long were you in jail, and what what went through your mind? What was your routine? You know, how did you keep your uh, yourself positive? You know what what thoughts did you work on to better yourself and and your life to know, become the amazing man that you are today?
1: Well, I thought a lot of uh, what I did was I I went to work every day because I worked in a bakery and I went to work every day. Um, I worked out, I ran, I read, I read more than I ever read in my life. Uh, I uh, just, I just took some, some time to find out how to love myself because I went a lot of years, man, not loving myself. And that, would, that 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 took a toll on a lot of my relationships with people, uh, with women that I had, my 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 children's moms, um, because how can I love them? And I I didn't know how to love myself. So if I because if I love myself, I wouldn't continue making the dumb mistakes that I was making. And the weird thing about it that the NFL and Mister Davidson still loved me, and they they kept they gave me an opportunity even after all those mistakes I had made in my life. The NFL continue to give me an opportunity but um eventually you run out of opportunity if you keep doing dumb things
0: so after the penitentiary where did you head up end up
1: uh i ended up in california um i didn't squander my money so i wasn't coming out broke i wasn't a brokey and and i'm struggling and things like that um i ended up in california in rancho Cucamonga. i i just sat around and and I played a lot of golf, um, I evaluated myself, I changed my surroundings. I put myself in a position to be around winners, thinkers, uh, people that was doing things that was taking their lives forward, not being stagnated, not doing things that, in, that was in the past that they thought that was really fun. So what I did was I just found myself around eight people to make myself
2: an a person gotcha if you were speaking to uh you know to a young group right now and you know some some would never get in trouble others uh, are already in trouble and and some are kind of right right down the middle riding that line and and there were three things the three points that you'd want to get across to them to, to make sure that they all you know didn't end up uh in a, an unfortunate situation such as you had what what might those three things be that you would uh, get across to them?
1: First thing I would do is tell them, find a way to love yourself. Love yourself because one, if you love yourself, you won't make too many wrong mistakes. Two, find some people to be around that's positive and love themselves. And three, keep your head to the sky and always continue thanking God because if you put God first in your life, you can't make too many mistakes because if you follow his path, you usually don't go into many pitfalls. But if you start driving the car yourself, you're going to hit a pitfall.
0: <laughs> so, James, what are you currently doing?
1: I'm currently just uh, writing a book. I, uh, I finished my book. I'm working on my um, to get my script. I have a script to the book, a movie. I wrote a movie to the book, and I'm trying to shop it, get it out there. And the movie is great. I mean, it's great. And... Um, I'm just hope God, um, uh, someone uh, will give me the opportunity and to read my script and take it and put it on screen so people can see my life. My life is very interesting, but like I said, one thing I I, I spent a lot of time with the Raiders, uh, signing autographs, um, going to different uh, community events for the Raiders, um, and that's basically what I, I my life revolves around. Is is um, uh, spending time with the Raiders and 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 going different places, um, football games, signing uh, autographs for the kids, uh, going to different uh, elementary schools, signing autographs, just things like that. Just a lot of community service for the
0: Raiders. That's great, fantastic. All right, uh, Greg, you have your celebrity question for James.
2: Yeah, I do, I do. I have a feeling I might know one of the answers you might give me, but I I always ask this question, James, of all of our guests. And uh, here we go, so James, Tell me, what do you feel is the most important thing in life you've ever learned?
1: How to love myself. See, if you love yourself, you can do a lot of things. You can do a lot of things. You can help a lot of people. Love yourself. Know yourself well. Know who you can be in life. That's it.
0: Huh, that was short and yes. sweet, but it was really, really good, James. People can pick up your book on Amazon. Do you have a website or is it just more? Uh, go to yes.
1: Um, but, well, sorry about that. Uh, you can go to Amazon online and you can get it at Barnes & Noble. Man, I would love for the guys to go and get it, read it. It's very interesting and it's to the point of, and it's an easy read. It's 188 pages. Um, you can find out a lot about me and I find out a lot about yourself but you may see something in a book that may, may remind you of yourself and it ain't help you. But Barnes and Noble online or Amazon online.
0: Appreciate it, James. Thanks again, sir. Thank you, James. All right. Great meeting All right. you. All right. That was Thank a great guys, story. Man. All right. That was Thanks Celebrity man. Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. Well, back to Neil Haley show. My guest today is Dr. Ron Kaiser. Uh, Dr. Ron, how are you? You know, we have not had you on the podcast in a while, but you've been doing a lot of big things and, uh, you know, a lot of big news coming, but you have a big event you're going to be speaking at coming soon.
3: Yeah, Neil, it's, I'm looking forward to speaking at the Reversing the Effects of Aging uh, Summit that's being put on by my friend and colleague Deepak Saini. Uh, and it's going to be in early December, a free event, and there's going to be 30, more than 30 speakers, which I'm proud to be one of them, to help older adults not accept the fact that aging is a time of decline, but really to reverse the effects to use it as a time of growth.
0: And that's fabulous because the thing is that it's a time of growth. I think that all of us, especially the population in the United States of how many are 50 and older in this country, it's gigantic. And the baby boomers we don't even want to talk about, it's time for us to think about just because we're getting older, it's not a death sentence. It's not the end of our life. It can become the beginning of a new life because we've, we've matured, we've understand things more, and we really understand we we have gone through the challenges in life and now it's time for us to really enjoy
3: yeah it's really the next phase of life it's not preparation for death it's the next phase of life and the thing is that uh when many of us were growing up we didn't have real good role models for active aging so we've got to become the role models and this summit will give us all kinds of clues different ways of handling ourselves learning to grow in ways that can make this a time of thriving or flourishing
0: hundred percent and that's the big thing what are you going to be speaking on
3: well i'm actually going to be dealing with a couple of areas one of which is how to keep the brain active as we grow older and the other and a really underrepresented thing is the role of social connections being involved i mean the very fact that uh you know, we're talking together makes me have to do some thinking and responding and some uh, kind of intellectual flexibility that I wasn't doing, wouldn't be doing if I was just sitting at home and even even reading a book, which is important. But uh, we got to activate various parts of the brain and social connections enable us to do that.
0: What other, way, what other things are we talking about?
3: Well, those are the two main areas, but other people will be talking about mindset, although I work that in a little bit. People will be talking about, you know, brain plasticity, how the, the brain works. Uh, people will be talking about exercise, uh, nutrition, sleep, various kinds of things that are important. Uh, they're important at any age, but certainly not to be neglected during the, the older adult years.
0: And I think that you talk about all that by the way so if people follow you and follow you on all the social media you mention every one of those uh, components in your talks and that's makes you the full package but for this talk really looking at you know growing older it's an okay thing and to really stay active and find those active activities I think Dr Rom we see the, the the whole push of AI. And for older adults to understand that this is a time that they can really thrive and learn new things and become different than a lot of other people because of just the technology. Things like that can really keep this brain active more, to really be more involved in technology.
3: There has never been a better time to grow old than now because we have access to all these wonderful technologies, uh, AI, all the information that we have out there Uh, There's really no excuse for not growing older with enthusiasm, which is, you know, one of my expressions, just like uh, disrupting the way that we uh, grow older is is one of the things that I like to emphasize.
0: Okay, so best situation for people that they can go ahead and do, Dr. Ron, is basically they can go and check out social media. After uh, Thanksgiving, you'll start putting out the links to where people can go watch... The event and be able to uh, participate, participate and see your uh, event and then learn about a new things coming for Dr. Ron in 2024. So the best place to fall is using all social media platforms or go to your website. And what's your website?
3: That's drron-kaiser.com. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, doctor. But also you can you go to the mental health gym, there's another uh, resource yes. and just Search Dr. Ron Kaiser. will come up on all different social media platforms. Follow him. Like his stuff. Appreciate it, Dr. Ron. I, I think that yeah, this I event...
3: I should mention that the, the dates of the summit are December 8th through the 10th. Just like a lot of things, uh, people can also upgrade to uh, so that they can have it available to them Uh throughout, but it's totally free if you attend it live, to December 8th through 10th. Just follow the links uh, when you see them
0: posted. All right, Dr. Ron, we appreciate it. De- December 8th to 10th, check it out, and check out Dr. Ron. Appreciate, sir.
3: Thank you, Neil.
0: Right. You're me. welcome. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment
4: so i i give a lot of credit to my parents specifically my mother um you know i was raised in an entrepreneurial home and so you know we were always encouraged to um you know follow our crazy ideas and our wild hairs and it was well supported um and not not just like a golden parachute way because i think that that's probably the biggest difference about from like me and other people raised in that type of uh home and uh My first business was actually selling golf balls uh, back to golfers because our house backed up to the golf course. Hi,
3: and
5: welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast
6: you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Good afternoon, and welcome to Women's CEO in Reflection. I am Bridget Latisse-Smith, and it is my honor to be your guest host this week. In my 20s, I worked in television news. I hosted a popular talk show, and I started my very first company. In my 30s, I transitioned into tech, and I landed at Google. And now, I'm in the third act of my life where I am called a super angel, investing in venture capital firms, startups, private equity, and alternative assets. This week, I have an amazing lineup of guests for this podcast. They range from trailblazing investors, private equity dis- disruptors like the venture capitalists and the uh, PE disruptor you'll, you'll hear from today, all the way to diverse female founders. Together, we, we will explore their journey, Pivotal moments and how they focus on self-care along the way. Today's guest is Kelly Ann Wengate. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm so happy you're here. I'm going to start with your bio because uh, once people hear your bio, they're going to see the power and uh, the gravity that you bring to every room and every space that you enter. So let me do a formal introduction of you, Kelly. So, um, and this is just a short bio everybody because our bio is really long. So I'm just gonna give you the short version. Uh, <laughs> so Kelly Anwinget is an innovative emerging manager in the private equity space and the founder of Alternative Wealth Partners. It's a, it's a Dallas-based private equity firm focused on blended portfolios of alternative assets hailing from a fifth generation oil and gas company or oil and gas family. You would think it's a company, but it's a family. She came from five generations of oil and gas, everybody. Um, Kelly is bringing, um, uh, is exposing. Look at this. I messed up. I got to start over. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to ad lib and my ad lib is not working. All right, Bridget, get it together. I think it's because we just had that crazy guest I know. Conversation. <laughs> Yeah, it's because we had that crazy conversation before I got started. So let's stop there, take a breath, and do it again. Okay. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon, and welcome to Women's CEO in Reflection. I am Bridget Latisse-Smith, and it is my honor to be your guest host this week. In my 20s, I worked in television news, I hosted a popular talk show, and I even started my first company. In my 30s, I transitioned into tech, and I landed at Google. And now I'm in the third act of my life, where I'm called a super angel, investing in venture capital firms, startups, private equity, and alternative assets. This week, I have an amazing lineup of guests for this podcast. They range from trailblazing investors private equity disruptors venture capitalists all the way to diverse female founders together we will explore their journey pivotal moments and how they focus on self-care along the way today's guest is kelly ann winget welcome kelly thank you for having me excellent i'm so happy you're here Uh, I'm gonna read Kelly's bio. This is the short version everybody because she is a powerhouse. Um, But let me formally introduce you to Kelly. She is an innovative emerging manager in the private equity space and the founder of Alternative Wealth Partners. It's a Dallas based private equity firm focused on blended portfolios of alternative assets. Hailing from a fifth generation oil and gas family, Kelly's un- upbringing exposed her to diverse groups early on. From working at a car wash at age 15 to managing ballet teams, radiology offices, demolition crews, tanning salons, and bounce houses, what hasn't she done? Kelly consistently sought out challenges that expanded her horizons. Well, with nearly 1 billion raised for family offices through modest investments, she's witnessed exclusive access to wealth generating opportunities and resolved to democratize such access. Her company, Alternative Wealth Partners, was founded in 2020 and offers diverse funds from fully varied private equity to taxed advantage energy and real estate investments. Kelly, welcome. (laughs) I could go on and on, but I'm out of breath right now. I know the the bio keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy you're here. So let's start um, with how we met because I think it's always interesting to understand like the connection when I have a guest on on any show and so how we met, met is through that this wonderful new film this documentary called show her the money and so we both met at the, at the LA premiere of the film and uh, I've been smitten with you and your wife ever since.
4: <laughs> we did we met at the, uh, the Marquis Sunset Marquis uh, Hotel in uh, West Hollywood and yes. You kind of just kind of floated by, and then we got an opportunity to just speak to each other at the um, at the launch party, and that was really exciting. And I think that um, it's always really nice for me to meet um, investors that don't look like the people I've worked with and for for the last ten years. Yeah, um, and uh, I think that you know we have a lot of synergies, so it's nice to be able to partner on things uh, as investors.
6: Yeah, for sure, for sure. We've, there's so much synergy between us. So, so we talked in your bio, your your early years, and that's usually where I start any interview is just to understand the roots of where does where where are uh, is this powerful CEO executive? Where did she start? Because we always look at the current state and say amazing, powerful, intimidating, you know, badass woman. But mm-hmm. we all have beginnings. So talk a little bit about your early days when you were the younger version of yourself.
4: So I, I give a lot of credit to my parents, specifically my mother. Um, you know, I was raised in an entrepreneurial home. And so, you know, we were always encouraged to, um, you know, follow our crazy ideas and our wild hairs. And it was well-supported. Um, and not, not just like a golden parachute way, because I think that that's probably the biggest difference about from like me and other people raised in that type of, uh, home. And, uh, My first business was actually selling golf balls, uh, back to golfers because our house backed up to the golf course and, uh, this is hilarious and the fairway (laughs) curved just a little bit. Okay. And you had to be a really bad golfer, which this is not a hard golf course. Okay. So the fact that I could start a business of golf balls in our backyard, uh, is saying something about the quality of golfer that was, uh, at that club and, um, (laughs) Uh so I would take the golf balls and I'd collect them. And then eventually when they would come back down the fairway, because we were right off the green, um, you know, they had to come and give me a dollar for their golf ball. And uh they're trying to give me a dollar or deal with my big giant black rottweiler. Um and so, you know, this is little old me at like seven years old or something. But um it it really came down to me being a teenager and my parents, uh, while you know independently wealthy, did not give that to us. And it was very clear that it was their money and we had to go figure out how to make our own. And, uh, I wanted a really expensive pair of jeans. I was 15 and a girl. So, um, they didn't want to buy it for me. So I said, fine, I'll get a job. And so I went out the back door and I got a job at a car wash down the road. And, uh, the only thing that they would let a 15 year old girl do is run the red, the cash register because women are terrible with money. Um, and I started upselling customers at the cash register when they would check out they'd get a basic car wash and be like, oh, you didn't get your tires done or you didn't get your your mat shampooed or you know all this sort of stuff. And um, I think they saw potential there and clearly, and, and they moved me outside to be a service advisor. And so by the time I was 17, I had moved from the small location by my house to one that was uh, in a different part of town that was doing three to 400 cars a, a day uh, on the weekends. And uh, I started figuring out their their commission program that they had to change it three times. I was making almost six figures part-time in high school selling car washes. Wow. So <laughs> I learned, wow. how to, I learned how to make a lot of money very quickly, um, very young. And so when I graduated high school and went into business school, I couldn't convince myself to stay there, uh, because I was listening to a professor tell me about business that they had never owned. Um, they've like, it just, it didn't make any sense to me. So I was paying for this education that I was getting paid for out in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I I jumped across a bunch of different industries. I worked in healthcare, I worked for a radiology firm. Um, I worked in construction. I worked for a demolition company and that demolition company is actually where I learned a lot of my technical skills, which ultimately I flipped into uh, oil and gas in 2013. And that was kind of the catalyst into, um, you know, the the private investment world. And from there, I consulted companies of all different kinds and helped raise a billion dollars in private capital, similar to how, what you're doing now. And mm-hmm. uh, in 2020, I took my opportunity to start my own firm.
6: Wow. <laughs> what an arc. What, yeah.
4: So but, but
6: if we go backwards, 15 car wash, you know, making all that money at, uh, I think I got my first job no comparison. Uh, definitely no compare. I was at McDonald's. I worked I at I
4: made,
6: I, made I, I remember exactly my hourly wage because to this day, I don't think anybody would work for $3.35 an hour. That's how much I was making uh, in my freshman year in high school at McDonald's. So an interesting arc that you've had, my love, (laughs) starting with golf balls and working up to billion dollar family offices.
4: You see a lot of, um, you know, consulting going on now, business coaches and stuff that are working through the confidence issue that women have about asking for raise or asking for their worth. And I think that the way that I was raised, I never thought that I was any different than uh, a man in the same job. And I didn't have the fear that I think a lot of people have when it comes to like, just asking for more. So mm-hmm. even at 15, when they tried to pay me below minimum wage, I'm like, no, I want $8 an hour. Mm. And, uh, they gave that to me. And then when they moved me outside, I was like, I want $12 an hour. And they're like, well, well, you get commission, I was like, I don't care. I want $12 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, cause that was a lot of money, you know, 20- Right. Right. and, uh, um. Eventually, like my base, I think was around seventeen, and my commission was essentially twenty five percent of what I was mm-hmm. selling.
6: Mm-hmm. And
4: uh, so I think that that was kind of my catalyst of just not having that fear and taking a- and I guess demanding my space wherever. Right. Right.
6: Right. And it's so important as just women in any work environment, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're an employee, an executive with a company, it's truly important to know your worth, know your value and to not um, marginalize your, um, you know, your, your, the value that you bring to whatever room you walk in. Right. You're valuable just by being there. And so just having to having a voice at such an early age is, is a powerful weapon that you've been able to you know, build on top of as you've scaled your business. Let's talk about what you do today. And then we're going to transition into self-care because powerful women, the more conversations I have in this podcast space, and I don't believe in accidents because I am working on self-care. I really spend way too much time in front of the screen. I spend way too much time uh, work, 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 you know, and then my husband is the one who pulls me away and says, babe, let's go for a bike ride, right? babe, let's have dinner, you know, let's watch a movie, and so he pulls me away, but if he doesn't pull me away, I mean, I I'm swear, I'm like glued to the screen, and I'm always like typing and trying to get another thing done on my to-do list, so let's talk about, first, about how your arc to get to where you are with building your company, which started in 2020, you've got this fantastic book called yes. Pitch yes. the Bitch. <laughs> Now, the title alone should make anybody want to go buy this book. Um, So let's talk about your company. Let's talk about the book. And then let's talk about your self-care and how you show your, how you love Kelly to the point where, you know, your self-care and your mental health is a priority for you.
4: So um, I kind of had this aha moment in 2020, Uh, I was working for a family office and it was one of those things where you realize you might be the smartest person in the room And you never want to be that person. (laughs) So if you will feel that way, you need to find a different room to be in. And you want to just constantly surround yourself with people that are doing bigger things than you, more interesting things than you, or can provide some sort of insight that you can't provide yourself and just be around them, be in their space. And I think that um, creating my own firm was my opportunity to do that, where I could hold expertise in my own space, but be able to partner with people in a way that I wasn't able to do under somebody else's umbrella. And I had taken 10 years of experience and put it into um, this firm that creates opportunity for investors to get access uh, and understanding into the alt space, which I've exclusively been in for 10 years. And in a way that is digestible, obtainable, And not overwhelming, because as you know, it's really hard to listen to 30 founders day Mm -hmm. after day and try to decide, okay, do I put $10,000 here? Or do I put a hundred thousand dollars here? Or do I put a million dollars in this? Cause it could be a unicorn. Like that's Mm -hmm. a lot to process, but if Mm -hmm. you find, and that's okay for some people who want to be a professional investor and they want to actively manage their own portfolio. Great. 99% of people don't want to do that but they do want access to those opportunities, but they want someone who they can trust, knows what they're doing, to sit there and have conversations with founder after founder after founder on behalf of the investor base. And so that is what I've created. I've created diversified portfolios for an investor to take 100, 250,000, a million dollars, put it into one vehicle, and that gets spread across multiple portfolio companies, all with different strategies, all with tax mm-hmm. advantages, you know, mm-hmm. different things. And um, they get 1K1 mm-hmm. and get one source of information as far as like, how do I understand this space and this investment?
6: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's what I love to do. I love creating these creative little pockets of investment and educating investors to go beyond just what their financial advisor is selling them, a life insurance mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. new you know, a really basic 60, 40 traditional asset stock bond portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a place for that, but there's also a place, small portion, 10, 25% of your net worth. Mm -hmm. And that's what my, Mm -hmm. I love it
6: out of curiosity. And if you're willing to share, how much is your assets under management? Uh,
4: we are approaching 25 million. Um, but we, we do have two, uh, our next fund is $180 million and mm-hmm. I, that's with a co-founder on a different management company, which is Epic mm-hmm. Economy Management, uh, which mm-hmm. is, uh, with CG cities and, and, alternative wealth partners. Uh, mm-hmm. we also have a fund number two, which is $150 million. And so we're, mm-hmm. we're well on our way. We've had to do our yeah. registration because we've, we've crossed over into a different territory. Once you have enough, uh, assets under management all the rules and regulations change and so that's right. that's where we are now now the portfolio yeah. value is much higher than that but that's the capital committed to the funds Gotcha. 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 So I wanted to just
6: level set for the folks who are listening, like you are doing the work and uh, you've got the assets and the portfolio to show the work. So just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your self-care. No, let's talk about your book because I, I want to squeeze this in, yes. uh, Pitch the Bitch. Can you just tell uh, the listeners where to find the book, what it's about and why they should pitch, why they should even know what this title is? the origin of the title because when I first saw it and and read the book well first of all when I when you presented the book to me and and uh and you signed it you signed it I love books that are signed by the author and uh, I said to myself now this is a bold woman who would name their book Pitch the Bitch and so I started reading page one page two and I said aha I get it I get it so could you share with our listeners this book what it's about and why this title
4: (laughs) yeah it's a I, when I was deciding on naming the book, I was really like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it and make this, this really aggressive thing, because the whole book is kind of in your face of like, here's the information, you know, I don't try to sugarcoat or like beat around the bush at all. It's just like, here it is. This is what you need to know. It's okay that you don't know it because it's on purpose. And here's why it's on purpose. Um, and the point of the, the title pitch the bitch is because the phrase is actually don't pitch the bitch. And it comes from the movie, the boiler room, where in like one of the first scenes, you have the old broker is training the new broker. And he's like, rule number one is you don't pitch the bitch. If you get a woman on the phone, you hang up because they're going to call you if the stock's up, they're going to call you the stocks down, and it's just going to be a waste of your time. So you just don't talk to her. Um, And that kind of messaging has been around since like the beginning of time. And it's woven in and out of pop culture. And so each chapter has a reference to some type of media, right? That is saying the same message and how you can decode that, unwire it from your brain and process the information in a way that's not intimidating, Mm -hmm. um, overwhelming. It's in a fun, funny, it's okay to like, think about it without making a decision today. But ultimately is that it's okay to make financial decisions for yourself, mainly because you're going to have to, whether you like it or not. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's it's geared more towards people that experience the wealth gap. Men can read it too, it's okay. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) for the most part, this is information that women and the disenfranchised don't have access to. And that's who the book is for. That's
6: right. So um, it is uh, all of 126 pages. I am personally what page am I on? I'm on I'm on page 31. So I uh, this is this is a really excellent read. It's a study actually. This is a master class in in your brain and how you've been able to reach the the status and the arc that you've had as a CEO. And so anyway, I encourage everyone your picture is amazing on the back. I I am digressing, but I encourage everyone to to check out Pitch Pitch the bitch and get get their own copy. And you have a book signing coming up. When is your book signing? I
4: do have a book signing. So if you are in the Dallas area um or want to come down to Dallas, it's in Frisco on November 7th. Um it's at the Cowboys Club. Uh so if you're a Cowboys fan, come on down. And uh it's just going to be an evening of Fun. We have some giveaways to do and all of the money that for the the book sales that are related to the event and also the little raffle thing is all going to North Texas Food Bank. So Fantastic. Uh, we're also gonna add a ticket on the Eventbrite link. I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. If you aren't able to come, but you wanna donate to mm-hmm. North Texas uh, Food Bank, then um, there's an option there too, because yeah. the, the point is to give back. And so if right. you need to do that, You know, we encourage everybody to do so.
6: Excellent, excellent. I'm glad we we squeezed that into the conversation because I'm just so proud of you. I just met you you know, earlier this year and I'm, there is definitely a kinship there. There's so much synergy in what you're building, how you built it, what you value, what your vision is for your, for your company, as you scale Like all of it is just, I'm, I'm eating it up. It is my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner It's everything. So I appreciate you being here today. Let's talk about your self-care. So how do you take care of Kelly? How do you make sure Kelly is a priority when I mean, you've got so much going on? <laughs>
4: um, my well, my my wife really helps a lot with that. Um we we try to spend a lot of time together. We have these things called self-care Saturday. And so once a month we um we get a massage and we get a facial and uh we do shopping or you know, whatever, hanging out. Um mm-hmm. but really just like spending quiet downtime is really my self-care because mm-hmm. I have to on for so much and i'm actually really introverted um and uh i don't i don't really like uh just like it drains my social battery to be out and about and uh as you know we are both Mm -hmm. like traveling we always meet each other in different states so (laughs) you know i i love traveling it's one of my favorite things to do um even for work but it definitely Mm -hmm. creates a time where i have to like reset and mm-hmm. I shut off from the world, and I think that that my my self care part is like doing things uh, for me and not other people. Mm. Uh, and it's taken a while to get there because I didn't used to have very many boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I was mm. always accessible. I was always on. Um, investors, asset managers, whatever, could call me any time at night, uh, any time in morning. You know, I'm getting called, in this and the time zones are all crazy. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm getting text messages and emails and stuff, binging on my phone at three, four o'clock in the morning, it's like, okay, I really got to fix this. And so, yeah. you know, going out on my own allowed me to create those boundaries. And there's some things that you're still working on, right? And uh, it's always a work in progress, but I think that creating boundaries and having time for yourself and your partner is really, really important.
6: You know what, when I married my husband, Um, even before we got married he's got he does not like um, technology he he doesn't have any social media pages seriously he has no social media pages um he does not allow like texting and driving or being on the phone and driving and i know it sounds like nobody should do it but i mean let's be honest sometimes we squeeze it in like oh i'm just gonna do this real quick before i you know before the light turns green and uh, so there's no texting and driving that's self-care because that's taking care of my life (laughs) and the people in cars around me and then the other thing that he doesn't um that I've learned to appreciate from him. Uh, and I'm curious about how your wife has influenced your self-care beyond the, the the self-care Saturdays that you mentioned. But so my my husband and I, there's no technology when we're having dinner. There's no phones at the table. We actually have conversation. We actually cook together, eat together, clean up the kitchen. Like it is like, I'm like, this is so freaking normal. <laughs> so that's part of my self-care. And then the last thing is when we go to bed at night, I make sure my phone, the ringer is off or it is not even near the bed. Cause if I, if I, I used to pick up the phone and do a little something, something before bed and he would just give me the the craziest look. I like, Ooh, okay. So that was my indication. This is that cool. And, but I was so used to doing things 24 hours a day and Mm
4: -hmm. making sure
6: I was on top of my next business day in the bed. And no, 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 no. My husband has truly influenced how I turn myself off and give myself time to breathe so i'm just curious about how your wife your partner your the 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 person that you're with 24 hours a day how she has influenced your self-care
4: um a lot and i have a little bit of an advantage because she is a professional <laughs> she she's, <laughs> she's a social worker and um actually of last week she has now got her lcsw so she passed her licensing <laughs> exam on saturday so woo, um but she she's really a um she she really helps me create new boundaries because I had been um very focused on my career and you know did not really responsible for anyone outside of myself for so long so it was a huge adjustment when first of all we started dating when I decided to start a business mm-hmm. so it was very new for us together and me being like, Oh, by the way, I think I'm going to do this like really insane thing. And she's like, okay. And uh, (laughs) she's been through it like every step of the way from the beginning and like watching as it grows. And so she's been able to like really support me in navigating how do, how do I, how do I create the work-life balance? That's, um, healthy and, um, fun right Mm -hmm. and um you know we have i have bonus kids so i have a 10 and 13 year old now and uh, so like balancing you know how do we how do i become a co-parent and also like all of this other stuff so it's it's interesting to like be a part of it she's extremely supportive and patient very patient and um i think that we do very similar things like we don't have technology at the table um typically i try to cut off my day five o'clock so that when everybody's at the house coming home from school and like her from work that we're able to connect with each other without being like attached to a phone or Mm -hmm. whatever and um, I I love cooking I do a lot of the cooking Um, we always eat dinner together as a family Uh, most of the time it's in the house we don't go we sometimes we go through phases where we go out a lot but for the most part, we we eat at home, and I think that, that mm-hmm. is really important. We play games after after dinner and stuff, so it's really about nice. connecting with the family. And then once the kids go to bed, then she and I will able to like have time together. And that's either yeah. shutting off for a little yeah. bit, um, as yeah. we go immediately from being at work and being on to like being parents and like dealing like dealing with the home. And so we do take time to. Um, we like to play Royal Match together. Have you ever Mm -hmm. played
6: Royal Match? Mm -mm, I haven't, no.
4: It's like Candy Crush, I think. So we'll we'll play that together for a little bit, just to kind of like wind down and then we'll Uh spend, you know, some time together. I love it. Well,
6: we have to wrap, but I have enjoyed this conversation. I've taken notes. Hopefully the listeners (laughs) have also taken notes because um, this is the first I've ever really heard about your family life. And so isn't it amazing that we have these business relationships but the core of who people are is is really what matters and that's how you build lasting relationships so i'm just going to say out loud thank you so much for being vulnerable and just sharing your self care you know you. behind the scenes that no one gets to hear or know about like we really appreciate that because somebody out there listening to my self care journey your self care journey will actually help them to live longer help them to have a more joyful and um you know, uh, basically joy in their life. You know, it, and it's something that once you get it, you don't want to lose it. I think you don't want to go backwards.
4: Yeah, I think especially for women, we can feel really lonely in the corporate world or even in our own businesses. Um, and we know that there's other people out there like us, but in the moment, we feel like alone and in that feeling and over and overwhelmed. And so, I think that more conversations like this, where it's like You know, the days are long sometimes when you're running stuff and uh, it's nice to know that you're supported and there are other women who are feeling the same way and finding camaraderie and support from each other. So I get it. And I I love this conversation and and thank you for letting us have it.
6: Yeah. Well, this has been a pleasure. I'm going to re-listen to it just, just so you know, I'm going to, because I need to make sure I caught all the gems that you were dropping. But um, that's all the time we have for today, everybody. I am Bridget Latisse-Smith, and it has been my pleasure to guest host Women's CEO in Reflection this week. We have another couple of uh, shows coming up, so I hope to see you next time. So thank you, Kelly, and uh, everybody tune in for the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women's CEO in Reflection.
5: To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, the art of intentional thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IAMAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you.
0: We're back to the Neil Haley Show. I'm first excited to welcome to the program my co host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow man series and owner of many companies. Paul, how are you? And know you're excited about our guest.
5: I am. We have today a special guest, um, Gary Wetterspan. Uh, he's he is actually a board member for um, a I think it's a nonprofit. Would correct me there, but but it's a called Final Exit Network. That's and so correct. And he's going to talk about that today.
0: All right. So let's talk about. You talked about. You've been involved in uh, end of life issues since 1980. How did you get involved in that?
5: Well, I started out as a Peace Corps director overseas and I worked in places trying to defend human rights. These are places that had death squads and you know really serious hardcore issues. And I came back after about 12 years to the United States and uh, kind of got into this uh, movement called the Right to Die Movement, which is a human right. You know what happens to you at the end of your life should be your choice. That's what we're all about.
0: God yeah, Paul, you have a question?
5: Uh, yeah uh, how, which would who, who do you work with basically older people or is it is it younger people just to prepare them? Uh, what's educational and, and we have groups of all kinds of uh, you know uh, pu- public and private groups to get together to to learn about this. Uh, most of them tend to be people that look more like me, you know, gray folks uh, who are actually needing to be thinking about the end of their lives.
0: You know, and that's the thing. It's is, is it is it illegal to end your life on your own in the United States, or it's not, but doctors can't assist it.
5: Well, there are two, there are three paths really that your options that you have. Uh, one is you, if you happen to live in the states where the laws exist, they're called uh, me, uh, medical aid in dying laws. There are ten states and the District of Columbia. If you happen to live there, and you meet this criteria, you know you have six months left to live, two doctors agree, um, and you're physically and mentally able to, uh, you know, ingest the little cocktail of drugs they give you, then you have that option legally. In uh, places where those laws don't exist, or even in those states, a lot of people aren't dying in the way, they have um, neurological conditions, they can't even uh, physically do what's required by the law. So all those people are left out, and that's who we exist for. We work with people and provide them with actual practical information, um, how to end your own life. And we do that only by providing information. You can't help people, it's not. It's not illegal to commit suicide anywhere, but it's illegal to assist. Figure that out. Assist people so, in committing suicide.
0: So let's talk about uh, the feedback you get from this. Like, what feedback are you hearing from your your um, like people? But the people against what you're doing. Are you getting some blowback?
5: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the usual suspects for blowback are the religious, uh, some religious organizations. I, you know, the Catholic Church, for one. Um, folks who believe that it's not your choice, that that it's their beliefs or their uh, religious uh, rules that that uh, carry, they, they, they cancel out your own decision. And uh, there's a few people in the uh, disability community, people in wheelchairs and others. There's an organization called Not Dead Yet And they push back because they feel if people have that option, uh, they might be um, tempted to use it. And that would be very uh, sad for people in that type of situation.
0: What's the biggest challenge to get the word out, especially with all these people that are going to come back and attack you and different things like that?
5: Um, Well, one of our major outreaches is called the Good Death Society blog. We're up to about 150 two views now and it's growing rapidly 100 views a day and it seems to be catching on you know as our population gets older more folks are interested in this topic
0: yep and that's it finding the old folks. i don't think that uh, assisted living centers would want them or, <laughs> or nursing homes they wouldn't want that for them to get that information
5: well you'd be surprised a lot of hospices are very much in favor of this You know, Mm -hmm. uh, when people go into hospice, they actually end up living longer than those that go into the hospital and have all this intrusive medical stuff done to them. And uh, having a nice uh, alternative for a peaceful, painless death is a real plus when you get to the end.
0: All right. Best place people can find information. Where can they go?
5: Well, two places Final Exit Network. Uh, de- online and the Good Death Society blog. We've got dozens and dozens of reader-friendly articles on every aspect of this topic. It's a pretty big topic for a short interview.
0: Totally. Uh, it's a, but see, that's good because that's what we, with the radio show, people are going to hear it and they're going to say, I want more. And maybe there should be a lot more, Gary. We appreciate it, sir.
5: Well, it's been a pleasure.
0: You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment.